0: Well, I want to welcome everyone to today's content. I am so excited about our featured speaker for today. And what we're going to be getting into today is teaching and specifically when it comes to and our churches, you know, this is one of those topics that there's a lot of confusion around and a lot of people have questions and I think it's fair and I think it's understandable and i think that we've got someone today who's going to give us a really good framework for understanding how teaching biblically should work in our churches today dr Kennard has served as an evangelist and teacher for more than 30 years with the new york city church of christ he has preached and taught the bible on every every populated continent he received his bachelor's or his undergraduate degree at freed hardiman college and his master of divinity with languages degree from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He then completed his doctorate of ministry degree at Drew University. Steve and his wife, Lee minister in Rockland County, New York. Steve also serves as adjunct professor of Bible at Lincoln Christian University and professor of Bible at Rocky Mountain School of Ministry and Theology in Denver. I attended there as well. Steve and Lee have two married children and two grandsons who they adore. Steve has published over a dozen books and his newest release, which is Jesus and the poor and his translation of the new Testament, which is an enormous undertaking called the King Jesus translation brother. Welcome to the channel.
1: Thank you. It's great to be with you. I'm very, very excited.
0: Tell us a little bit about your conversion, which probably happened a while ago, and why you became a teacher.
1: Okay. Um, Well, I grew up in what I call the traditional Church of Christ. Some refer to it as the mainline Church of Christ. My dad never liked that term because he thought of mainlining as connected with drugs, (laughs) So. He do not want to be with the mainline Church of Christ, <laughs> and it's, a, it's, it's actually um, a name that we put on the Church of Christ. Um, that it's not a name they picked, so um, I call the Church of Christ, the traditional Church of Christ, part of the Stone Campbell movement, and those are my roots, uh, fifth generation uh, Stone Campbell on one side of my family and four generations of Stone Campbell on the other side of my family. So, I'm deep, deep into the Stone Campbell uh, movement. Um, and so, I actually uh, was baptized when I was 14. Um, and so, that was like 50 years ago. Uh, <laughs> when I traveled to Africa, there's especially this one brother whom I love so much. He's such an awesome guy. His name is Shadrach, uh, an evangelist in, uh, in Nigeria. And whenever he has a chance to introduce me, he always introduces me as the oldest Christian on the continent of Africa. <laughs> and I try to uh, tell him, dude, dude, that's not true. There's uh, there other people that have been a Christian longer than me. He said, no, nobody's been a Christian longer than you. <laughs> but I love Shadrach so much. Um, but then I became a, a part of the um, discipling movement, the International Church of Christ, uh, really out of. Uh, out of college, um, I, I moved to be near my now wife um, to um, the Triangle area of North Carolina, specifically Raleigh, North Carolina, and became a part of a group that was um, with the Discipling Churches at that time. Wyndham Shaw had just left from there to plant another church somewhere else, and so um, uh, that—that's my connection and my way into. Um, the ICOC. Oh, and the, as far as the teaching goes, I had the advantage of before moving to New York and before getting deep into the ICOC, of already having completed a Master of Divinity degree with languages at Southeastern Baptist, which was in North Carolina. Three year program, 90 hour program, um, had to know Hebrew, had to know Greek. And so, the, the and I also, my undergraduate degree was in Bible and English, um, but primarily in Bible. I studied Greek and Hebrew as an undergrad. And so I actually came into our churches with that background, which was beneficial for me because, you know, I find that over the years, it's difficult for people once they um, are on the track of being an evangelist to be able to say, hey, time out. I want to study a little more. I want to study by going to school, you know, and actually going to the classroom. Um, That's just, that hardly happens. Um, It's happening more now. There's a trend upward with that now. And I'm grateful to see that trend upward. Mm -hmm. Um, But for many, many years, that just really didn't happen all that much. Um, And so I came in with some skills of being able to study the Bible in a deeper way, teach it in a little deeper way do some writing, that kind of thing. And so um, being recognized as a teacher was pretty natural.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. You know, one of the things that when we talk about this idea of being a teacher, I think that to some degree, I just, I want to level the playing field for a moment. Everyone is called to watch their life and their doctrine. And in some way, everyone is a teacher. If you're a disciple of Christ Jesus, you're you're following Christ, you're responsible for giving an account, correct account of what the gospel says, the teachings at some basic level. And so I think to some degree, just, you know, there's that basic understanding, I just want everyone to say it's not like we have people who are just super smart, or just super anointed, everyone is called to have good doctrine. However, I've noticed, especially in the, the, the recent, the more recent years, There has been an increased thirst for deeper teaching. There's been an increased thirst to understand the context of things that we have believed for many years. And as people go back and they get better training of how to exegete the scriptures and so forth, there can be a little bit of a a process to that. And so there's pendulums and stuff we'll get into here in a little bit. But I just wanted to start with, I think there's a lot of people that are interested in this. People want to know... Okay, what's the plan for the church to develop deeper teaching? Because as we are around for longer, we're realizing we need to be more equipped for the world that we live in. And so I want to start out with giving us a basic understanding of an Old Testament and New Testament kind of overview of the role of a teacher.
1: Okay. Well, first let me acknowledge that what you said, I, I it's true. Um, All of us that are followers of Jesus do some teaching. Um, As a parent, we teach our children. As um, disciples, we go out and we make other disciples. And that whole idea is teaching and training other people. Um, And so that, that idea of teaching and training is there in our lives as disciples. But... There is also the role of a teacher mm-hmm. in the Bible, and that's more of what we're talking about when we talk about becoming a teacher in our churches, yeah. is what is this role, and how is this role defined, and how do we, where do we find the role biblically? Um, and there are a number of places. I think if you go into the Old Testament, you go back to even Moses, who was the lawgiver. Mm. Um, but not only did he give the law, he explained the law, mm-hmm. and he had other people around him that explained the law. And so um, they were teaching on a different level than uh, other people were teaching. Um, and you pick that up even in the New Testament, when you look at, for example, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew frames his gospel around Moses and Jesus being the new lawgiver, And he has five um, narrative sections and five teaching sections. One of the teaching sections that's most noticeable is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five through seven. And so Matthew seems to frame his whole gospel around there being the five books of the Old Testament. Well, now there are these five teaching segments in the gospel of Matthew. And Jesus is the great lawgiver. He's the new Moses. He is the teacher. And of course we think of Jesus as a rabbi. Um, But I would also in the Old Testament, I would especially highlight Ezra because Ezra was a fantastic teacher, and um, he you know, he taught, and he taught carefully, and when you go into the book of Ezra and read Ezra and Nehemiah, you see the difference there, really, between somebody who was um, kind of a leader, boots on the ground, um, I would say more evangelist type Nehemiah, and what he did, and Ezra, who um, definitely taught the people from the law, I had them stand up with the reading of the law and um, had days in which they would just go through segments of the law. Um, and th- so, and there's also, um, I, I like to connect it a bit with prophecy as well and the prophetic realm, because there are times where teachers died into issues that are difficult and sometimes prophetic. Um, racial justice is one of those mm-hmm. um, and I love Isaiah and his wife who were involved in a school of prophets mm. that, whole, that whole little segment of Isaiah is so fascinating to me and I wish we knew more about that because I would love to know what it was like to go to seminary with Isaiah and his wife and be trained to be a oh, prophet yeah. um, but they knew the law and actually uh, not only the law the the, the the word of God, the devour Yahweh, prophets devoured the devour Yahweh, the word of God. And that was a big part of their motivation. They were called to be prophets for sure, but they also received the devour Yahweh. And as Ezekiel talks about, just eat it like honey. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think that that's part of being a teacher as well. You love the word of God and you just, it just tastes like honey to you. Um, And so I really appreciate the prophets, and I I actually um, am inspired by them in my teaching ministry. So, and then, of course, when you get to the New Testament, you have Jesus, and Jesus is the the teacher par excellence. He is the greatest of all teachers. He is uh, the rabbi of rabbis. And so we get into the New Testament, we see Jesus teaching. We see him taking the law and explaining the law and even uh, talking to his specific community about, well, this is what I have as an expectation of you now. Um, But he got into deep things and deep matters. He got into matters of that um, he had to, uh, where there was some nuance, like his teaching on divorce and that sort of thing, because there were different teachings going on around him. And so now when the question comes to him, he answers the question. Um, uh, when, When he's given different... You know, in Matthew twenty-three and twenty-four, and people come to him and they have questions. Um, Jesus answers their questions. He was he was great. He was just a great teacher. Um, and of course, there's the parables. You know, w- when you look at the parables, you see ah, there's a teacher <laughs> because he tells stories. And uh, teachers, good teachers, are able to do that. They're able to connect with people. The great thing about Jesus was he could talk to, and stump the wise men around the temple when he was a young man 12 years old Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, but he could also talk to whoever he met on the street and and speak to them in their language so he could connect with the smartest person around he could connect with people that had no schooling at all Um, and that's the mark of a good teacher also who's able to do that and get his arms or her arms around everyone And then, of course, I'll go to Paul. Paul was an amazing teacher, trained as a rabbi, trained under Gamaliel. um, And even Peter found the writings of Paul difficult. So, uh, you know, Paul had some great knowledge, Um, but he he was also a trainer and he was also a church builder, which is another aspect of the teaching ministry that I find in the New Testament that I would like to add. Mm -hmm. And that is, is that teachers should also be church builders. You see this in the ministry of Jesus. You see this in the ministry of Paul. Paul considered him um, an apostle born out of time. He considered himself an evangelist. He also considered himself a teacher. He used that title of himself. He talks about teachers specifically in places like Ephesians chapter five. So he had respect for the role, Um, but he wasn't just a a teacher like the philosophers on Mars Hill. He was a teacher that got, um, got his hands dirty, He was a teacher who had boots on the ground, building the church, working with people, uh, writing his letters, and yet it could also be, I mean, incredibly deep. You read the book of Romans and it's not an easy read. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a great read. It's an encouraging read, but it's not the simplest um, book to get your head around. Uh, And Paul had that depth, um, but he also was able, again, to to talk to um, just anyone, anyone on the street. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's a bit of an overview that shows I think some of the different dynamics that were, that, are, that were going on in biblical times with teachers.
0: Well, the reason why I start with this is that there's a lot of confusion. So for example, when you look at the end of Matthew, Matthew, I mean, Matthew is basically a polemic against the teachers of their day. And at the end of Matthew, he makes a statement that, well, Jesus essentially is saying that you have one teacher. And I think some people, they have a very surface understanding of that statement that he made. You have one teacher. And so when you, a lot of what we've seen in the church, as far as the pulpit and teaching, it's very much been democratized. And there's a pendulum effect that's happened where you've got people who are like, well, we don't, we don't need specialized people who go to school and do that. Everyone can read them. And so when I say, everyone has God's spirit, everyone has a basic understanding of, I'm just saying is when you become a Christian, you swear your allegiance to him, and he becomes your tour tour guide and your Torah guide. (laughs) And at the end of Matthew, there's a statement of we have one teacher. Now that doesn't mean that the rest of the Old, the New Testament is nullified, because we see that there are teachers, right, even pastor teachers. And so can you just for a moment, put some context for people, Put, thing, put that statement into context when Jesus says you have one teacher.
1: Um, well, I mean, ultimately, yes, ultimately, we have Jesus. Um, however, Paul considered himself a teacher. Mm-hmm. He was teaching about Jesus. And so we go back and what is our... Um, What is our main topic? Our main topic is Jesus. Yeah, Trying to help people understand Jesus better. That's, at least in my life, that's what I've done most of my work on. Specifically the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, looking deeper at Jesus. Um, But even when we study parts of the Old Testament, we still bring it back to Jesus and talk about him. And um, so definitely when we look at, okay, the subject matter what we're teaching who we're trying to become it's jesus Mm -hmm. um but that doesn't do away with um other verses um for example james specifically said not many of you should presume to be teachers absolutely um and so, but that means that some should, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not many, because it's a gift. Not everybody has the gift. Yeah. Um, and, but the people that do have the gift, they, they should be teachers and, but he gives a warning with it. You know, there's going to be a more strict judgment mm-hmm. for those of you that presume to be teachers. And I think that judgment comes in, in two ways. I think number one, it comes with um, when you're teaching, uh, people are listening to you, and uh, you you have the responsibility of, of um, teaching them the truth of God's word carefully so that they don't stumble. Mm-hmm. You have to take them where they are, and you have to teach them to grow incrementally to what they can understand more. You, you give people milk, and then you give them meat. If you just give them meat right out and they strangle on the meat, that's your fault. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to teachers about this before. Um, you shouldn't go into a basic Bible study um, classroom and then teach people something that um, is, is going to cause them to just walk out of the room with their, their heads whirling. Yeah. Um, that it might feel impressive to you, but it's not helpful to anyone when you do that. And so I think there's that sense of judgment. And I think there's also the sense of um, eternal judgment that you'll be judged more strictly um, when judgment comes Mm. based on the work that you've done. And another big aspect of that also is that your life needs to, and this is true of all leadership, not just teachers, but true of evangelists, true of elders, um, true of anyone who wants to be a leader, um, uh, Bible talk leader, whatever. Um, Your life needs to match what you're teaching. And so if there's a disconnect there, um, serious judgment is going to happen. But we're not all supposed to presume to be teachers, but some of us should, because we have a gift, the same gift that Ezra had, mm-hmm. the same gift that Paul had, the same gift that Apollos had. Um, so there, there are people that um, have that gift. Whoever the Hebrew writer was I don't know, man or a woman, could have been a woman, okay? Whoever the Hebrew writer was, (laughs) uh, he or she was a teacher. You just don't do that kind of writing without being a teacher. So um, there are examples of people in the New Testament outside of Jesus that were teachers.
0: Yeah, and again, it's easy to take Jesus' statement in these exaggerated ways, And I think, let me just kind of, before we go to the next question, introduce this aspect of how trauma affects how we read scripture. In Matthew 11, speaking of Matthew, Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary burdened and I will give you rest, rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is late. And he says this, and it's interesting, the context that he says it with, if you read what he's talking about before that, it's really a statement against lazy shepherds in other words the pharisees of that day and i think the pharisees get a bad rap they wanted something good they were the blue collar translators they were trying to help people to walk things out they weren't all bad right. what he's basically saying is that they have all of these symbols of inefficiency and what he's saying is is that if you follow me Okay, I am Torah, they have all these ways of trying to conceptualize it. But I am the thing that they're trying to prophecy about I'm the fulfillment of that. And following me will get you closer to Yahweh than following them. And there are these symbols of inefficiency that over time become burdens for people burden for the poor, you've written about the poor burden for people who are afflicted, that Jesus called to be free. And to your point, when we don't have good teaching, we become something that adds a burden to people, adds a trauma to people, doesn't allow people to get free. And I think that teaching is so important as it relates. And again, why I started this channel is truth, trauma, theology, the the, the theology and the trauma, the integration has got to be based in God's word, which is truth. And so without that, you really can't help people to heal and grow. And so I think that's very what you're saying about teaching. There's a lot of people who are, are quite tender who are quite sunburned because of some inappropriate teaching that's happened, whether it was in Jesus's day or in our day. And so there there are these reactions and there are these backlashes that people have. And part of it comes down to not having an understanding of how we should teach. So I really appreciate what you've just shared. You can comment on that if you want, or we can go to the next question.
1: Um, Well, I think what you said is, is definitely true. Absolutely true. And I've felt it in my own life. I mean, there are things that I was taught um, growing up as a disciple that, um, uh, I mean, it just took me a while to grow away from that and grow out of that. Um, and the things that, that I was taught early on were taught me for a good purpose Hmm. because I was a young disciple and needed some boundaries, needed some, some borders, needed some, um, uh, you know, guardrails <laughs> to keep mm. me on track. Um, but then you grow away from that. And I think the Pharisees—that—that that was their purpose as well. Their purpose was, let's make sure we don't break the law by never getting close enough to the law yeah. to actually break it. <laughs> and so, if if the law says do not carry a burden on Sunday, we're going to define every possible way that you might carry a burden, and you make sure you don't do these things. To the point that if they had a cotton swab or cotton ball in their ear, and they actually used that in the first century, this is one of them, if it fell out on the Sabbath day, they couldn't reach down and pick it up and put it back in their ear on the Sabbath. Because that would be lifting a burden on the Sabbath day. But there was a good point to that. This is a guardrail to keep you from breaking that law of lifting a burden. Um, The problem with that is, is when... You just define it all the way out; that it becomes harsh mm-hmm. and it becomes um, a barrier to even helping people. Mm. You know, I mean, what if somebody has a, a, a bloody wound? You know, and there's that greater law. The greater law was always there, but there were times in which they um, took their laws to be greater than the greater law. Um, and Jesus actually confronts them on that one um, because to is it, it's better to do good and not do harm and that sort of thing. Um, and I think uh, in, in our upbringing the same thing, let's face it, Kyle, we all, I shouldn't say we all, I'll rephrase it. Many of us tend toward legalism mm. because legalism is the easier choice. The Pharisees, legalism was the easier choice. And it just is, you have a, you have a list of laws you don't have to think through them right you don't have to engage your brain you don't even have to engage your heart you just do them without even thinking without having your heart involved in them but you take away those that that legalistic structure and now you have to think and now you have to engage your heart and now you have to ask questions like a good the best question i know is always the question why mm. the question of motivation the Question of intrinsic motivation, the question why ought to be asked all the time. And even when you hear somebody say, you need to do this, and you need to do this every day, and you need to do this in the morning because the morning is the best time to do it, then you ask, why? Hmm. Why is it the best time to do it? Why do I need to do it every day? And then you engage your own mind and your own will and your own heart and your you're learning intrinsic motivation at that point. It took me years to learn that, and and I had to study it. Edward Desi is, is one of the um, people that I studied to learn about intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic motivation, and you see that in the Pharisees. You see that in the church today. The fact is you'll always see it throughout history because it's just legalism is an easier way mm-hmm. of managing ourselves, managing life, managing people. Um, but it's not really the best way. And trauma does occur through that.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you you talking about that. For our listeners, I did a video with uh, Marty Solomon of Bema, And we talked about what is legalism. And we got into some of this. And what Steve is talking about is very, very true. And I appreciate you addressing that a little bit more specifically. There's a lot of people, I think, who needed to hear what you just said, Steve. How were teachers developed in the mainstream fellowships? And then specifically, what is the role and history of a teacher in our ICOC fellowship? And before you answer that, I just want to say to our audience, the International Churches of Christ versus the mainstream. I know that this is a little bit more of a, it sounds like a more of a denominational question but I think it's very important. And as you listen to it, even though it's maybe a bit denominationally, I think there's some things that can broadly apply. And I just want to context that before you answer that question. Go ahead, bro.
1: Okay. Uh, how are teachers developed? I mean, that's the gist of the question, yeah. right? Yeah. In our churches. Um, uh, it's very much gift based. there's it, it, people who, um, have the desire to study the Bible a little deeper, who when they teach, They tend to teach the Bible a little deeper, Hmm. um, who enjoy reading, enjoy academics. Um, But also in our churches, there's um, a real value in practicality and a real value in not just studying things and teaching things um, in an esoteric way Hmm. that doesn't um, apply to daily living and, and how to become more spiritual and doesn't equate to spiritual growth and that type of thing and so in our churches we tend to look at, at teachers as um as church builders it, it, you know that's what we're looking for and so there needs to be some knowledge there about um how do people grow spiritually and um how do small groups work and how can i reach out to people and and help people in an interpersonal way and in my relationship with people and the teachers that i know all of them they are able to do those kinds of things Um, how it works just more in a let's look at it as kind of okay if we're going to build a program yeah actually in in africa i i've helped teachers Um, be raised up in Africa. um, As of about three years ago, we had zero recognized teachers across the continent of Africa. And now we have 16 recognized teachers across the continent of Africa in our churches. And um, with the help of the Beam Fund and Valderkoa and many, many other people, I mean, definitely not just me. I mean, there were people... Um, like Mike Tolliver is an evangelist who worked in Africa for years and years. Mike and Amberjit, uh got people to the point where they were ready to be teachers. Um, and um, people that are there now, like um, Chris and in um, and, and, and Lagos. Um, mm-hmm. These, you know, but eventually you get to the point where there are people that this is their desire. This is their passion. This is also what they are gifted at doing. They're just, they're good at it. Um, and so you recognize a few people like that, and you start working with them. And so I started in, in West Africa, English West Africa, French West Africa, and um, East Africa around Kenya, specifically with three different groups, just working with different men and women. And we, we went through a, a curriculum together It's a curriculum that I devised. And um. It, the first part of the curriculum was just study out what is a teacher based on the Bible. Um, the second part of the curriculum was let's look at some character things and let's see about our own character. The third part of the curriculum was let's look at some uh, matters of interpretation and some matters of exegesis and let's get practical with it. Okay, I want you by the end of this uh, semester to go out and teach a workshop on a particular uh, item that you have chosen. Um, And then I would visit them and at times they would visit me. But most of this happened over Zoom before Zoom was popular. Before people knew about Zoom, uh, we were doing this over Zoom. And let me tell you, um, Kyle, the the brothers and sisters in Africa, when it comes to learning, they are, um, uh, they're just so into it. I mean, one of my favorite memories was, We were, I was teaching over Zoom to a small group in Abidjan, French speaking, West Africa. So working through a translator and everything was going great. Um, But all of a sudden the the, the power went out. Mm. Except that they had enough battery life and enough battery with their internet connection that that was still going. But there were no lights in the room. (laughs) I could hear them and there were no lights. Wow! And I said, you know, should we cancel? Should we just do this again next week? And they said, no, 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 we're getting some candles. We're getting some candles. And so they went and they lit candles. And I continued on with the lesson and they were there making notes by candlelight. The translation was still happening. It was just a beautiful thing and an amazing thing. Um, But at some point that has to happen as you get connected with people and then you help them to become teachers. What tends to happen, you know, in, in the West and in many churches is you send people off to seminary mm-hmm. and they get their training there. And they become a teacher through seminary, which often doesn't have to, but often disconnects people from um, just the, the people in the pew. And what we want to try to do is train people to be teachers while they're still working within the congregation and within their ministries. So
0: there's some confusion on a couple of things that I, I want your, your feedback on here. And there's, there's a couple of things, a couple of themes. One is this idea of appointing a teacher versus recognizing a teacher. Okay. So that's important. And then there's the traditional story arc for how teachers have functioned in our community and our fellowships. And, and what I mean by that is, typically speaking, what it seems like is, is that you get hired as an evangelist. And that's, you know, in our in our specific denominational context, that's the lead pastor, the senior pastor, yeah. you get that, that's your job, that's your, pri- that's what you get hired by the board to do is to, to shepherd the church by being a, an evangelist a lead evangelist. And then maybe if you go back to schooling or whatever, then you can become a teacher and then you function as a teacher. And it's very interesting. There's certain pools, certain hubs in our fellowships, Chicago, Denver, uh, Rochester's becoming one now, Harding University, Lipscomb I mean, we could go on and on about all the hubs, but typically people that are on staff are not hired as a teacher. They are hired as a ministry staff, staff professional, so to speak, as an evangelist. And that typically, it seems like that used to be the pipeline is you become an evangelist and then maybe you become a teacher. And then we kind of had this idea, I'm going to organize it here in a moment. We had this idea, quote unquote, of a kingdom teacher. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because we are kind of reorging things, right? There's a reconfiguring of things. We're naming things. We're getting organized. People are working together for the first time in many ways. There are leaders that are really starting to, to really talk some, hash some things out. So let's start out with the traditional story arc of being an evangelist and then that aspect of adding the teacher. Is that something that rings a bell to you?
1: Um, yeah. Do you want me to go back and mention, the, the talk about the first thing you mentioned? Is yes. Appointed and... Uh, yeah, granted? yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And then I'll work into yeah. the second one. Um, I personally feel like Appointed versus being recognized, it's just a matter of terminology. Okay. Some people um, uh, get caught up in, well, well, I don't see an appointment of a teacher in the New Testament. Okay. Okay. Um, and so, why are we appointing teachers? And so, maybe a better word is to recognize them. Um, you know, you appoint elders then there's a question do you appoint an evangelist or not yeah
0: so right right <laughs> <gonna>
1: evangelist <laughs> right and um so but i don't know that the terms need to be that stringent and, and use that stringently you know i think we have the ability in our churches that if we want to appoint people to different roles within our churches um then we can appoint them to different roles and uh you know it gets back to you know john mark hick's book about the pattern do we have to follow the pattern or is there some freedom and some grace for us to do other things and i think there certainly is some freedom and some grace so um i tend to use both i say um you were just recognized yesterday or were you appointed just that was a
0: thing i'm saying this because i got it i've gotten i've got an email i've had teachers reach out to me yeah. and say hey look Kyle, you know, this podcast you're doing is great, but I want you to use this languaging instead right. of, so use recognize instead of a point. And that's kind of a, the reason why I'm saying that's because it's coming up.
1: Yeah, no, I, I hear you. But anyway, congratulations on amen. Being either appointed or recognized as, Yeah, well, as, well, as amen. a teacher within our churches. That's <laughs> fantastic. Um, and what I usually do just kind of in a little playful way. I'll use both terms whenever I'm talking about it. Um, <laughs> because then if people want to get stuck and I'll say, well, I use the other term too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, and even when I write about it, you know, I, if I were to do a, um, a write-up of your, I would say Kyle was appointed and his congregation recognized him and just, gotcha. you know, my basis that gotcha. way. Gotcha. Um, because I don't think it's really, I mean, ah, why do we get upset at, at something like that? <laughs> um and to me that's a silly thing to be upset over. But uh let me go to the other one, which yeah. is this is a more important thing about um and teachers and uh just reframe it one more time for me.
0: Typically Second, people,
1: people become
0: evangelists and maybe yeah. become a teacher, but they have to become an evangelist first, typically it seems.
1: Well, I think that's changing. I think that's going to change. Um I think you're right. There are a lot of changes that are happening around us. And I think this is one of them. I think in in general, um, people want, in, in our churches, people want teachers that do understand the ministry. And so they look at people that um, are evangelists and have training as evangelists. But I don't think that's always going to be the case. I think that that people people are going to recognize that You know, this guy really um, loves God. He has a gift for teaching. He or she has a gift for teaching. And um, this person is excellent at teaching. And this person also has the character of of Jesus, uh, Christ-like character. And so um, I, I believe that we're going to work away from that, but it will take some time to work away from that. What you said is true um, in general, you had to be an evangelist first and then kind of recognize that, okay, you're, you're an evangelist, but you have this gift as a teacher. Uh, and I would say also that there are evangelists that are both evangelists and teachers. There are teachers that are teachers and evangelists, and there are some that are, are one or the other. Um, for me, I served as an evangelist and i also served as a teacher uh in our church in new york um i was also appointed a kingdom teacher Years.
0: that's what i that's the other thing i wanted to ask you about
1: (laughs) that's a little embarrassing now (laughs) i I never think of myself in that in that way but i was appointed um Hmm. uh years and years ago actually i was appointed in the garden of gethsemane of all places, we wow. were. We had a leadership treat a trip in um, in Israel, and um, and Kip appointed me as a kingdom teacher uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, but that term has long since. Uh, what was
0: that term? If you could explain that for our people.
1: Well, okay. The term <laughs> back in the day, um, uh, there was just a, another way of saying church, basically, and so to be a A kingdom teacher meant that you uh, were teaching across our churches, and there were a few of us that were probably, I don't know, seven at the most that were recognized as um, this is a teacher for our movement. This is a teacher for all of our churches, Um, and we were a smaller movement at the time, Um, and so basically it meant that you had influence not just over your local ministry, but you had influence over the whole movement because of gotcha. the work that you've done, gotcha. because of the books that you've written, because of the places that you've gone, because of the, um, the many of us had ministry training programs that we were actively involved in. Mine were primarily in Africa, but I would go over there and I would teach two weeks at a time, something like New Testament survey or, or Old Testament survey. I mean, really deep um, academic uh, topics and i would be the one that would go and do that sort of thing and so i received that recognition or appointment (laughs) so that makes so
0: much sense literally I, i i don't think you understand there are a lot of people i think who are very appreciative for how you are spelling things out this has felt very murky for a lot of people it's been like a london pea soup fog and it's like, you know, we'll get to the next question as far as as far, what are we looking for? But I think it's important. For me, it's interesting when I, my situation was that I was having kind of like bigger impact in my local congregation. And so there was a teacher who'd reached out to our evangelist and said, Hey, has anybody thought about appointing Kyle? And it was like, well, you know, we hadn't, and, you know, we we're just kind of figuring out in our region just how how that even works. Anyway, long story short, I recently, so I got appointed yesterday or recognized yesterday, and part of the reason or the rationale behind that was if someone is just having local impact, Mm -hmm. recognizing them is kind of like, eh, maybe we don't need to. But when someone has greater than local impact, that uh, recognition almost functions as a letter of recommendation. Which they used to have back in the day and so that letter recommendation works kind of like an interstate compact where you can now go and you're, you're trusted and and you've been vetted and so that's kind of i think how it's functioned at time in certain contexts but it sounds like it's changing and so the way i kind of see it now is is that i'm i was recognized as a teacher in the omaha church of christ and whatever dealings i have or whatever I have going on, but I, I function, I, my, my, base is out of my local congregation. And I, I think that sounds kind of healthy and I'm just, I don't, I don't know what your, your perspective is on that, but that.
1: No, I agree. And, and I certainly hope that people don't think that in order to recognize a teacher, they need to have some regional influence or, right. some um, uh, I don't, uh, continental influence or sure. something like that. Um, I recently appointed um, our ministry. Recently appointed Ryan McCullough in our Hudson Valley ministry in the New York Church as a teacher within our Hudson Valley ministry of the whole New York Church, um, mm. and he's a fantastic teacher mm. um, who is doing the teaching. The, the way I always define if the person should be recognized as a teacher is: Are they teaching? Mm. Teachers teach. That's love. My, I love that. I love that's it. My mantra. And so Ryan. I mean, honestly, you listen to any lesson that Ryan has given, he just is a teacher through and through. He's Princeton educated. He studied economics. He's an amazing thinker. He was learning Greek when he was in high school. He just has the gift through. And through. <laughs> and so it was like a no brainer, you know, and so I, we didn't appoint him across the whole New York ministry because he honestly doesn't have a lot of impact there, but he has a ton of impact in our local ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think over years, that'll grow. So you'll have more influence around New York and more influence outside of New York. But you start there. Um, And I think that's, as you said, healthy. That is a very healthy thing. Why? Why is it healthy? To me, people who have gifts need to use those gifts. Mm. They need to use those gifts for the glory of God. They need to use those gifts for the benefit of the church. And they need to use those gifts because God has gifted them with those gifts. And if you don't use your gifts, um, you get a little frustrated Mm -hmm. by not using your gifts. So it's healthy all around when we recognize people for the gifts that they have and then give them the freedom to be able to use those gifts. How many people do we have that are using their gifts? Um, outside the church in a, an amazing way, but they're never asked to use those same gifts that could be used within the church. Thank you. And man, that must be a frustrating thing for them to mm. be in that uh, predicament. And I think one of the things that a good leader, a good leader is going to find the gifts of the people within that ministry and let them free to use their gifts. I again, and I, I can vouch for our, our listeners
0: that what you're saying is it really gives people permission. And I and I just I want to say for a moment that for those of us that have fi- have found ourselves and stuck in a particular season, what Steve is saying I think is critical, which is that that we get into this cycle where when we go through a traumatic experience, it really messes with our ability to use our spiritual gifts. And here's what you find with people <clears throat> who need to recover from. From their trauma or what they've experienced is that you've got to be active in your gift Mm -hmm. and there's a cycle where if we're not using our gift and the trauma or whatever we've been through has shut down our gift it's also going to shut down the healing process Mm -hmm. and so you take joseph joseph is probably one of my, my my role models for for teaching biblical trauma you can't show me a time where joseph wasn't using his gifts there was no point where Joe, and so that's important for people. And teaching is is it's not about us. And this goes into my my next question. I think that, I think all of our gifts need to be shepherded. And like I had a professor once who would share with me. He said, "You know, Kyle, <laughs> you have the ability to influence the emotions of a room. Mm. You need to be very mindful how you use that gift. Mm. Our gifts." need shepherding and so because there, the media sources and so forth have been so heavily democratized in the church people are starting podcasts let me just speak to something steve i think it can feel threatening possibly for a church leader when you have all these different tribes and people sometimes silo themselves within a tribe and, and you feel like you can't reach people and so as people are using their gifts their gifts need to be shepherded i just want our listeners to know i had uh, Dr. Kennard, I just call him Steve, but when I'm in the classroom, I call him Dr. Kennard. I had him for my two, first two semesters of Greek and I learned, I'm like, I I need some shepherding. I need a community where there can be some social accountability. You know, that process, I mean, we all feel brilliant when it's just us and our Bible, but then when you get around some other people, you don't feel so brilliant. That's a good thing. <laughs> and so anyway, I just think in terms of 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 looking for for people who have this gift and and helping to flame it, what are some attributes? Because I know it's gotta be tough. I know you want to help people use their gift, Steve. This is something that's very important to you. Yet without without getting too too weird about the qualifications, right? We don't want to be Pharisaic, but there are some basic qualifications possibly that, that maybe you want to share with us. What do you want to share about that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I would start, to me, the most important quality is spirituality. Yeah. You need to be a spiritual person. And if you're doing it, because knowledge puffs up. Mm. Um, And so if you're just wanting to show off your book learning, you just want to show off your education, and you're not being spiritual, and you're not going to help other people. Um, and you're gonna end up hurting other people and hurting yourself. You have to start with being a spiritual person. And we need to be in community with other people. Mm. Um, I'm grateful for the people that I have around me that are are teachers and help me. You know, they'll and we send each other manuscripts. We 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 bounce things off of each other. And if we hear of things that are going on that sound, funny to us we'll dial in and we'll tune in and we'll listen and if something needs to be talked about we'll talk about those things Um, but you need to have the humility to ask and ask for help you need to understand that you don't know everything about everything you'll have your um your specific things that you're good at but you can't be good at everything right Um, and so try to stick to the things that you know and stay away from the things that you don't know that's a good quality to have. Mm. Um, and, um, I mean, we're ultimately we're, we're doing this because we love God and we love people. Be, you know, it's, it's a, a Matthew 22 thing. We love God and we love our neighbor. And so you can't ever get disconnected from that. You can't ever get disconnected from I'm doing this because I love God and I'm doing this because I love people and I want to help people. Um, you know, so I could get into some of the other things about just academics and that sort of thing, but that probably takes us away from what you were just talking about, Kyle. Um, and I do feel like that, I don't think it's just with teachers, but I think that there. when I look around at our churches right now, and I also look at not just our churches, but I just, I mean, you, you look at what's happening within Christianity mm-hmm. in a broader way. Um, democracy is, is a good idea that things are getting um, so that things are breaking down into smaller groups. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Um, if we will work at staying connected with, one another um you know we it can be that that what we're doing is we're working on specialties that are going to end up helping more people that way Um, and ultimately we all need to be connected uh on, on many different levels in order to be healthy so um i hear what you're saying with that and i think that that is important i guess the only The only thing that I would add, maybe a little bit of pushback is, I think sometimes people think that, oh, here's a teacher, um, Steve Kennard, he's going off, he's doing his own podcast, he's doing his own teaching, he's doing his own thing, and uh, I wonder if he's getting any help with that. I wonder if he's getting any feedback on it. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I actually serve under an eldership in New York, Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay? <laughs> and if if the elders in New York hear of Steve Kennard doing something wacky, they they're, they're going to give Steve Kennard a call, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and most of our people work in like that, and even others, uh, you know, that might be a little more out on the fringe. Um, they have somebody like me in their life mm-hmm. that asks questions and and hear things, and I have people like them in my life that ask. And so I don't, I would just say, well, let's not always think the worst. Thank you. Um, let's give people a benefit of doubt. And before you make any comment, try to listen, because I, I, I usually say, well, how much have you heard? And people haven't even listened. They just heard about <sighs> it from somebody else. Blows me away, bro. It
0: blows me away. <laughs> it happens all the time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> So it, at at least um, be informed. I think that I mean we're we're in a weird place in the U.S. right now, right? With Twitter going on and people just filling the the freedom to rant without any repercussions. But as people of God, we can't act that way.
0: Absolutely,
1: we just have to be different than the world, and um, we 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 need to treat each other with respect so
0: there's a couple couple key things that you you'd mention i want i want to hit one two uh the first one is this is that i so i get some good advice and and i know for a fact if i said something weird i I would get a call from a handful of teachers Mm. i've not had that issue because i get advice i I, i'm proactive um, with getting advice and and i I think recognizing someone as a teacher provides a sense of accountability and responsibility, you know, to be honest, I think we probably should recognize more people cause it would alert them to the influence that they have, that they need to manage. Hmm. Um, yeah. so I think that's, a, but I think getting elders, teachers and evangelists to work together. I think the pandemic pandemic is forcing people to work together. Who've never really worked together. Well, for the first time, the Holy spirit has people working together who aren't used to working together. And I just want to say for our audience, it's easy to, to start a channel, start talking and, and to not be connected with the impact that you're having. And then there are people who are responsible for the souls that what you're saying affects. And those people, I mean, you can get a bad taste in your mouth. Let's say an evangelist's mouth. You don't want that. And so I've gone out of my way because true trauma theology, this is a hot button ministry. This mm-hmm. is hard stuff to talk about. And it's, yeah. it pushes buttons. I've gone out of my way to invite evangelists to come onto my channel. And I want to hear their voice. We need to hear from our, our ministers. We need to hear from our ministers. Um, secondly okay, is I do think going through a process of education, I, I get it guys, there's some people who feel like, well, I don't, like, I'm not done with my Bibble degree. I have a master's of marriage and family therapy. And then I started working in my master's of divinity at Harding. And I've got quite a ways left to go. I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna switch. That process has been an eye-opener for me. I've had some very significant seminary moments that I needed to have that having to write having to organize your thoughts having to synthesize what you actually think i think is an important part of being a teacher now that i'm not saying steve that people need to go and get a degree just to be i'm not saying that but i think i think it would be hard to say that 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 process wouldn't be beneficial if we're going to have this conversation so what are your thoughts about that
1: well, I think that, I think we need to have different types of teachers. Thank you. Different, um, different sp- specifics and specialities. Um, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I don't want to mention a name, but see if I can do this without mentioning a name, <laughs> I think I can, I think I can. There's a person I consider a teacher. I don't think has been recognized, Well, I know has not been recognized as a teacher. Um, she specializes in reconciling people. That's what she does. And she's super gifted at it. And she does amazing work um, outside the church, but we have her doing work inside the church, especially on our um, teacher service team. And she's wonderful talking about racial injustice. I mean, I learn from her all the time oh, yeah. about yeah. racial injustice, and I just, I just like she says it. I'm like, hey, Amen, um, because I, I continually have to learn that in that subject. You know, that just um, um, with my background, I have to stay. Uh, connected with people and have to listen you know and and learn from people and she teaches me all the time and I think she's a teacher she's a teacher she's not been to seminary will never should never honestly go to seminary um, because she should just keep doing what her specialty is and just stay within that specialty and help our churches in that way I would say the same with you. I'm glad you're doing your academic work biblically. I know that you have grown from that. Um, and anyone would. Um, but what you're doing with your specialty hits a niche within our churches that needs to be talked about. And so you're being a teacher in that way. And so I don't look at all teachers as, you know, well, these are Bible teachers or these are people that. going to teach new testament they're going to teach old testament they're going to teach greek they're going to teach hebrew um we we need to broaden it so that um people with their own specialty can teach within our churches and be recognized as a teacher within our churches based on the specialty Mm -hmm. that they have Um, and there to me there's room for us to do that why not do that it's allowing people to use their gift um that they're already using in a great way outside the church, within the church, and to be recognized for it. Um, And to me, that's a win-win.
0: Well, if someone feels that that they are interested in taking that that academic path, and I believe you, I I like what you're saying, that we have people who are going to be professors, we have people who are going to be scholars, and so forth. We have other people who are going to really connect at more grassroots level. We need all kinds of teachers. It's not just the one template that we need to have. Um, I do think that, like Rocky Mountain School of Ministry and Theology has been, it was so beneficial for me. I transferred from there to Harding, but it gave me an incredible foundation. And, you know, as a therapist who, is also a teacher i i make theological statements and and the reason why i say this because i believe that good theology is therapeutic and a lot of people their their theology has has needed some therapy and so for me to feel comfortable making statements theologically right clinically okay fine i can do that but theologically i don't feel comfortable doing that without a solid biblical foundation it's just too risky and it can it can really cause some damage so that's why i've I've undertaken it, but like Rocky Mountain, and you've taught there for years. Why should someone consider attending Rocky Mountain, and what can they expect to get from attending that, that school?
1: I think you should consider going there if you are interested in just having a, a deeper foundation mm. of how to study the Bible, how to approach the Bible, how to get more from your Bible study, um, get some principles of interpretation, get some tools for exegesis, um, do, as you said, theological thinking with other people uh, so that you'll get feedback and you'll get correction and mm-hmm. you'll also get um, encouragement at times. Um, and then, then on top of that, there's, um, there's history. There's so much history to know um, within Christianity and within the church. And so you can learn that and you can get some background there. So I look at and just think, you know, so many times we come up against something in our churches and we're like, ah, we've never faced this before. Well, someone has.
0: Absolutely,
1: <laughs> It's been faced before. Um, let's just do a little digging in church history and you'll find a number of people that have faced the same thing. Uh, whether it's how do we restructure the church or whatever, uh, it's been done before. So uh, we need to know some church history, that's helpful. Um, and then some spirituality as well. I mean, it should help you grow spiritually. Ultimately, it should help you get closer to Jesus. Um, and if it's done right, then that, that is going to happen, that you're going to get closer to Jesus. But I think primarily, I think two things happen and it should happen in a graduate program. Number one, you should get tools. You should be able to learn tools that'll help you dig deep, deeper. Number two, you should think and be taught how to think. And you know it'll help you in forming um, arguments, in, in forming um, opinions, in forming thoughts. You ought to be able to think in a graduate program. If you're going to a program and you're simply mimicking the professor, then that's not helpful. And that's not what we're we're about. What we're about is trying to help our students um, gain some tools, whether it's Greek or Hebrew, or just tools of exegesis, principles of interpretation, books, uh, there's so many books. How do you determine what's a good book and a bad book? How do you know what to read and what not to read? Um, Writing skills. And then thinking, just thinking through. Um, Part of that comes with the reading. Every time you read, um, I shouldn't say every time, but when you read good writing, okay, it teaches you to think Hmm. and it teaches you how to be a better writer um, and how to put your thoughts together uh, more efficiently. So these are some of the things that'll help that you can come out with. And on top of all of that, just growing spiritually, being, becoming more, more Christ-like.
0: And in terms of books, announcements you want to share, uh, I just want to kind of open that up for you.
1: Okay. Well, um, one of the things that I love doing right now is uh, working with Telios. It's a journal of holistic Christian spirituality. We've had a couple of issues that have come out, uh, our whole first volume, first year is now done, and it's out with two issues. We come out twice a year in the winter and in the summer, and so we're looking for our winter issue of the second year to come out. Many of those articles will be on justice, on biblical justice Hmm. in that particular issue, uh, featuring Fred Gray, um, the lawyer of the civil rights movement, so we are excited about that coming out, and I would just encourage you to take a look at that. It's very simple. Just go to Teleos Journal. Teleos is T-E-L-E-I-O-S, then journal.com. You'll find us there. You can subscribe. Also, we need articles, um, academic articles, general articles. We need a poetry. We accept photography as well. Uh, And it's a way for people to use their gifts. That's one of the one of the reasons we're doing this is because we want people to have um, an avenue, a venue to be able to um, use your gifts for photography or for poetry or for academics and publish, to be published. Uh, telias means um, mature or, or complete. And that's what we're trying to do uh, in this journal. We're trying to help people to mature in Christ. And so, Holistic Christian Spirituality is what this journal is all about. It's been a fantastic start to the journal, and I'm I'm just happy to be a part of that. And I would say on top of that, um, yeah, take a look at the King Jesus Translation and see what you think of it. That was actually a lifetime of work that went into um, translating the New Testament from Greek into English. And... Um, it is a, it is a full translation. I mean, I, I, I translated every word from the Greek new Testament into English. So it's not a paraphrase. It's um, not me looking at an English translation and then just coming up with something. <laughs> and it's actually going to the Greek, wow. um, but it was a labor of love. I loved doing it. And, you know, Kyle, I was sitting down one day and I was just looking over uh, different Parts of the Bible that I had translated, like I knew I translated all of Mark and all of Matthew, part of Luke, all of John. You know, John is easy. So (laughs) all of the letters of John, (laughs) Um, uh, the general epistles. uh, And then I just started looking at it and I was like, wow, I've actually translated over half the Bible already. (sighs) Let me finish. And so that's what I did. I actually, from that point on, I approached it as what have I not translated? Let me translate the rest and um, yeah, take a look at that. I think people will enjoy it. I appreciate the undertaking
0: of translating the new Testament is unbelievable. And I just want to just say, congratulations for doing that. I know it's been a a lifetime achievement and a personal achievement. which kind of cool is that that's a you and God thing in a way, you know, I just, that's just precious. And, um, I remember, maybe it's third semester Greek where uh, it was to your point, like with John or whatever, and, and you start going through and you realize, wow, this helps me to read my Bible better. My English Bible better as well. Right. Sure. So much, yeah. so much better.
1: Oh, one more thing. One more thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The teacher's conference we have coming up in February. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. I, I should definitely let everybody know about that. It's at the end of February. It's going to be um, a hybrid. And it's going to be in Orange County, uh, California, so the LA area, uh, at one of the buildings there. And it's also going to be um, uh, online, and so you can watch it over your computer. Uh, It's going to be three days at the end of February, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And it's going to be on, um, basically on uh, interpretation. The title is called The Art of Scripture Reading. And so we've got a number of professors uh, they are going to be teaching. We have a, a lot of teachers from our churches that are going to be teaching as well. Um, I'm excited to have like Nick Zola teaching from Pepperdine and uh, John Mark Hicks is going to be teaching from uh, Lipscomb. Uh, we have um, uh, other professors that are going to be teaching as well from other universities. And uh, so it's going to be. It's going to be a, a good deep dive into this topic of um, hermeneutics, herm- biblical interpretation, and exegesis also. So I don't know if you have in front of you the exact dates. I don't.
0: <laughs> it's the end of February. Whatever that last weekend is, I believe it's very late yes, February. The
1: last weekend in February. That's, that's when it is. But you'll you'll post it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Post some information about it. So that people can get, you can register now. You can start registering for that. And I encourage you to do so.
0: I want to thank you from my home and my heart for making space and time, not just for me, but many people who are going to listen to this. We are very grateful for your years, many years of laboring and the selflessness that you've had to have uh, through the years. Great is your reward in heaven, my brother. And we thank you so much for taking the time to bless us today. I'm going to say to you what I say to all my guests, that we are with you and God is for you. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you. Well, if you've listened through the entire video, I want to thank you. This has been very edifying for me and humbling and encouraging. I want to ask you to continue to like, share, subscribe. The channel is growing. I'm over, I'm like 2.1 whatever subscribers. Guys, seriously, it's you you guys have helped to build the ministry and in meeting needs and if there's videos content you want to see please let me know if you're going to inbox me please give me at this point a couple of weeks to get back with you i will get back with you it's gotten a bit busy but i thank you and i'll see you next time